everybody. Welcome to the Neighbors Church podcast and this month's conversation. We are continuing to build out uh, these conversations around seven core convictions. We've covered three of them, and today we reach our fourth. And today's conversation, I think, is going to be um, it's going to be really interesting. In some ways, um, it really pertains to those that sit in a specific space in organizations or in churches, primarily in leadership, but it does distill down to the layman, to every person, to you sitting there stuck in traffic or doing dishes or on your run. What we're about to talk about and this conviction that we have as a community applies to you as a Christian at work tomorrow in your classroom. And the conviction is that we are to be a contextual people, a contextual people. What do we mean by that? Well, the summary thought is we are convicted that the church in this day and age needs to be thoughtfully engaging with secular culture. We are to be thoughtfully, well-read, considerate, empathetic, kind in our engagement with the community and the culture around us that doesn't know Jesus and in some cases resists the way of Jesus. The sentence that summarizes this conviction for us as a community is preaching the gospel in a way that deconstructs cultural idols and proclaims the gospel as the fulfillment of all personal and existential longings in our cultural moment. So something unique for this conversation as well, uh, we are going to be having this conversation, not between my wife and I, but between myself and our glorious oh, intergalactic <laughs> already <laughs> we, I gotta go there every time every time and uh, Joshua and I we sit around and have these conversations anyway around how do we contextualize in this culture how do we exist as a community of faithful followers and so Joshua is joining me for this conversation Welcome, Joshua. What's up? Yeah. Welcome. What, what's up? Welcome to my garage. We're always in my garage. <laughs> like every time I like welcome because you're kind of in my house. <laughs> Here it is. Thoughts on, on culture. What are your thoughts on culture? What in the world is culture, Joshua? How do we even define this? It's this nebulous cloud, yeah. this intangible thing that everybody talks about, but none of us really could like definitively say Oh, here's what culture is. Yeah, especially in a very pluralistic like society where there are a bunch of different cultures just melting into one thing. I think that culture, I've always maybe thought of culture as a sort of guiding ideas, but not just mm. ideas, lifestyles mm. that formulate our ideas. Mm-hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is what we do. This is who we are. This is how we dress. This is how we talk. This is what we read or watch or don't read or don't watch. It's just, it's a lifestyle and ideas. And I don't know if the lifestyle comes before the ideas or the ideas before lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's what I would think of as culture, my understanding of culture. I think I I would 100% agree with you. I think... uh, those that write on this area and this topic at an academic level would agree with you 100%. That culture seems to be this intangible or sort of invisible set of rules by which we just know that this is how we do it. There's no reasoning for why we do it. Yeah, It's just the way that we do it. 
it, it's it's the moment when dad knocks the hat off of the son sitting around the dinner table. Right. And the son's like, why'd you knock my hat off of my head? And the dad's like, because we don't wear our hats at the table. Yeah. <laughs> there's no explanation. Like, there's well, no reason. We, why not? When did we it's, start this rule? Yeah, it's, just, yeah, it's just the culture. That's culture. And so... I think the, maybe one of the most important things for we Christians to consider and take into account is that we are all influenced by our culture. Right. I think you, you really nailed something important in Western culture in that we are, we are an amalgam. We are this, this mashup of multiple streams of cultural ideas and norms. Now, I, I do think that there is a an American Western culture. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, but there are these tributaries that have fed into this river that we are all swimming in. Yeah. We are immersed in this culture. Yeah. It gets, you would call it like a subculture. There are a bunch of subcultures within the American culture if you're an Eastern thought, Eastern culture, whatever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and so you right now, dear listener, are influenced by these unspoken rules, you are shaped. You actually have an entire set of cultural ideas that you just assume the rest of the world agrees with you, does those things. And this is why I think it's so important that Christians in particular do some world traveling, if at all possible, if you have the means. Uh, some of my most eye-opening moments have been traveling into Eastern cultures, places like India, where everything is done so categorically different from eating with your fingers to nobody opens up swimming pools till 10 o'clock at night to the beautiful beaches that are just gorgeous along the Bay of Bengal being closed all day, not a single person on the beach. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's just a different culture. And so, and the ideas that I brought, my cultural ideas that I brought into India well, they, they thought they were just crazy. Why would you go to the beach? They could not figure out why, <laughs> why I was so upset that the conference that I was teaching at would start at 10 and they didn't pick me up till 12, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. thoughtfully engaging with culture uh, as Christians begins with considering the fact that there is a culture. There's a culture in which we are interacting. Yeah. And I would say maybe one of the next steps in interacting and contextualizing the culture. And this is where I really want you to share because you're a church kid. Yeah. The church in the United States has a culture of its own. Yes. And there's, I mean, there's different church cultures. Can you talk a little bit about like the church there's, cultures that you were raised in? Yeah. I mean, I, there's, so again, you talk about subcultures. And so there's this overarching idea that connects us all as a church. And I think that that, sort of connecting idea would be Jesus and Jesus's death and resurrection. Then there are all these sub points that break us all up and make us weird in different ways. <laughs> like I've been in every sort of different church and every one of them is weird in some way. Uh, you might find yourself in a, in a some like gospel black church and people are screaming and shouting and clapping and jumping, dancing and singing. And you're like, that's weird. But then they would go into like, a, I don't know, a reformed context and be like, why is no one screaming? Why Presbyterian? In suits and ties. Yeah, why the, the Presbyterian thing, why is no one dancing, singing, clapping? Uh, and so there's there's this interesting sort of difference in cultures that we're faced with. And I grew up a church kid. I grew up in 
um, a lot of Pentecostal spaces, but I also at times found myself in spaces that were more reserved or as I came into my own and started leading worship in a bunch of different contexts, yeah. I was like, man, the church is so different and diverse. Yeah, and you're unique too, Joshua, in that you're one of those bridge saints of God that I see you operating in all these different cultures, black culture, white culture, Pentecostal culture, more reformed kind of educated culture. You kind of, you're able to just interact in all of those spaces along the way. How how have you experienced in yourself these different cultures and finding your way through them, navigating your way through them? Yeah, I think the 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 well, I'm a little bit uh, chameleon, mm. I think, mm. which is, I, I remember being very young and reading uh, Paul, be all things to all people and being like, oh, I could totally do that. And so, it, and then other people would call it like code switching. Like mm. you're, you, mm. you understand mm. this language over here. So you start speaking that. I like to say I'm like, uh, I'm bilingual. Yeah. I speak uh, the language of my people like black people, I could speak uh, white people language, I could speak, you know, a church language, I could also go into a bar context and understand how to talk to those people without completely uh, alienating them with Christian language. It's just, it's one of those things that I wanted to be able to do. But also, I think that we all kind of do it in different ways. That's you good. might find someone that goes to church and they talk a certain way, and then they go to work and they're a different way. And I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing. Right. I don't think it's a bad thing. It might be, you know, initially seen as a bad thing. But I found myself navigating those environments, uh, sort of trying to fit in because I, I had an issue with that when I was growing up. I just wanted to fit in right. for for my cousin, for some of my cousins, for my black friends, I was like, oh, you're not black enough. And I'd go around my mm. white friends and you're not, mm. you're not white enough. And so mm-hmm. always And then like in the theological environments, yeah. did you get into spaces where you're like, you're not Pentecostal enough. Yes. You're not, you're, you're Yo, like not reserved enough. Exactly, exactly. So I'd go into, you know, the, the chosen frozen environments and I'd be like, you know, up front, I'd be like, lift your hands. And then I'd have to be like, no, dang it. You know, I just, because <laughs> no one would move. And everyone, That's a legit oh, that's- thing. Just so you guys know that aren't part of our community, Joshua at points has come off the microphone and full on let rip. He's like these yells to worship. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, come I've on. obeyed. I've obeyed you, dude. Come on, do it. No, I, I don't, I don't ever want to do that, but it's just, you know, and, and you know, and then going into other environments where I grew up in a Pentecostal environment, but they're like, you know, uh, I've actually had someone come up to me and say, you know, I think there's another step for you to walk deeper into your anointing. And what I found out that meant over the next couple of weeks as I led worship in that environment, that they wanted me to be louder <laughs> and speak in tongues more. And that's what it was, you know? And then they're like, and I remember them coming out after I kind of leaned in, they're like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. the anointing's really on you now. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's one of those church things. I think there's two things that I want to summarize and highlight from from our interaction to this point for, for the Christian who wants to engage with culture. Um, There's two things that you said that I think are really important. When we talk about church culture and then the interface that church culture has with secular culture, that's with non-believing culture, you said it well. It's weird. Mm -hmm. It's weird. Mm -hmm. But then the second thing that I think that we need to highlight in our contextualizing of the the gospel, of, of who God is in this culture, is that if we recognize we're coming with some weirdness in the eyes of the world around us, then we have to learn how to speak their language. 
right? There, there are the, and we're not talking literal language, Spanish, French, Japanese, mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. We are talking about learning the language of, or the, the unspoken words and ways of the culture around us. And so I come from a background where I had no church. I had not darkened the door of a church until I was 21 years old. And so you're right. When I came into the church, it was an overload. It was an overload of so many assumptions about this is the way we do things. And I, for many, many years, uh, let's say over 20 now, right up to this very moment, Mm -hmm. still find myself often asking, why? Why do we do that? Right, yeah. Why why are we so concerned about that? Why are we not focused on this? Yeah. So there is this this uh, this massive cultural influence within the church, and the 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 moment that we find ourselves in in our uh, sort of social moment in this in this cultural moment is the tides are shifting. Christian culture has been predominantly received and accepted and honored within Western society for the last 200 years, especially in the United States. Right. That has drastically changed. Yeah. What is weird now is um, we, our interface with the culture is not received as it was. And so it's even more important that now we begin to learn the language of those around us, that we begin to listen carefully. It's, a, um, it's one of those things where before there might have been some sort of, I was listening to something today. I think it was Mark Sayers today. Mm. He talked about how there was a, a sort of cultural advantage to being Christian, to speaking a sort of holy language, even in the culture at, at large. And that is, that is fading. And so it's almost like, it's almost like in years past, I don't even know that I really grew up in that time. I think I just have grown up as that's just slowly fading the sort of cultural advantage you have. But if you have that cultural advantage and you feel like you're at the top, there's almost an aspect. And if you're not careful, you begin talking down to the people around you that Mm. don't speak that language, Mm. but now it's shifting. And so if you did slip into that accidentally where you kind of talk down to the people that don't have some sort of Christian faith or background or thing. What we need to learn is like you said, listening instead Mm. of always having some sort of boxed answers to Mm. everyone's questions and everyone's comments and their way of seeing things, but a a very intent listening Mm. and also Mm. a a kindness like because we've missed it, I think for a long time is the the aspect in which we are meant to be kind to Man. the to the perceived other. I think I, I, I want to underline that and I want to put it in flashing neon for our community. Yeah. To contextualize the gospel means that we're not talking. <laughs> like it right. means we're listening. Mm-hmm. We're, we're listening to what is being said and how it's being said. And I think even underneath that, for the Christian in your workplace tomorrow and in your classroom, you're listening and you're asking, why is this being said? Right. Exactly. Because then we begin to get to what our core conviction is. We believe that the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come, died, 
resurrected from the grave and has inaugurated his new recreation project, the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is unfolding through us. We believe that that, right. that huge good news, right. we believe it is the answer. We believe it's the answer to everyone's deepest existential moments of yeah. longing and crisis and hurt. Right. And so maybe this, this process of contextualizing the gospel for the, for the local Christian in your workplace or classroom tomorrow mm-hmm. begins with, listening into the conversations and asking yeah. thoughtfully, why is this person saying this? Yeah. You have to understand what it is that you're engaging with in order to engage with it. Like we, if we're meant to be, and I've, this is a prayer that we've been praying over our church or I've been praying every day. We went to a staff retreat. You asked us, hey, mm-hmm. write down a couple of things that you would just pray for our church every day. And one of my prayers has been that our church would be a space of healing, mm-hmm. of cure for the soul as you might put it. And so I think in order to be sort of surgeons in this world and healers and priests, we have to actually be able to diagnose what's happening. And you can't do it without looking, without getting like paying attention, kind of getting x-rays of space. And that requires uh, listening in order to actually tend to the hearts and souls of people around mm. you. You got to understand the culture. We come with kind of prepackaged ideas, but a lot of our ideas around the questions that people are asking in culture and what are the existential moments are old. They're like, we're stuck in the eighties and the nineties. Got it. The questions that we yep. think people are asking. Yep. And uh, it's changing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So in summary, like on, on this front end of this conversation, if you're a Christian, you're weird. It's okay. Be humble. You need to recognize that. Um, Learn the language. Be listening carefully to what's going on around you. And as you're listening, as you're listening, you're listening with the ears of Jesus out of love, out of compassion, out of respect for an image bearer in front of you. And you're you're not there to persuade them of your argument and the rightness of your way of life. You're there to invite them. And an invitation is an invitation of hospitality. And hospitality unfolds through a process of listening and caring and providing for people what is needed. So we have this kind of introduction to how Joshua and I obviously in our church are talking about and thinking through and praying about contextualizing or thoughtfully engaging with secular culture. I think this is a good segue to maybe address um, ways in which we have not effectively dealt with culture and the history of the church or interacted with culture. And um, those that write in this area have defined three specific ways. The first is the church has looked at secular culture or secular society around them and opted to fight. We are going to put our gloves on and we're going to fight. We're, we're going to fight we're just, the system. We're just going to swing on people. <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to we're just going to unload and it's it the 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 bullet point on this is it is church against church against culture. Um and it's it's rooted in the need for control. And if we look through the history of the church there are there are real blights on our history um, where it was church against culture. And it was also church unaware that it was bringing in culture, but not bringing in biblical culture. So take, for example, the history of missions. 
where you would have Anglo-Saxon white European missionaries going into tribal cultures or whatever culture it may be and imposing upon that culture, not the gospel of Jesus, but imposing upon that culture a way of being brought from European ideals and values. Yeah, baptized American ideals, baptized European ideals. It's just, it's a... It's American thought and European thought dressed in like a Jesus mask. Exactly, yeah. And really in, in that process, you know, it's easy to to sit here on our couches in your garage in 2020 or 2022, whatever year it is now, I don't know, whatever year it is now, 2022. <laughs> and kind of judge, they were doing the best they could, but without a lack of, without with a deep, um, negligence and naivete to the to the the lack of biblical culture, and so entire cultures were basically absorbed into this framework. And it's really it's a blight. Right. The other the other piece for us in a church like neighbors, and we're careful in these conversations, and really want to be respectful. But um, the rise of what came to be called the Christian right, starting in the eighties and nineties, was a movement of Christians who who with, I think, right heart, and I think really with right motive, thought we're gonna fight culture and we're gonna fight culture with legislation. We're gonna fight culture politically. If Christians can be the, the people in power, uh, then we will win the war. And here's what's so fascinating about this. This has to be a really nuanced conversation. So whether you voted for Trump or not, whether you didn't vote, it really doesn't matter. I was talking with my wife about this this morning. Trump received an incredible amount of support from the evangelical Christian community. And what has come from that now is uh, currently right now at the recording of this podcast is the leaking of a Supreme Court document saying that five justices are turning over Roe v. Wade and that abortion is no longer going to federally be legal. It's right. going to return to the states. Right. I know there's a lot of um, need to feather out the details of what that means. Suffice it to say, the evangelical community on the whole would say, big victory. And you know how we did it? We went to fight. And you know who we fought with? <laughs> Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And so, my goodness. Have we contextualized the gospel or have we put the gospel in the toilet bowl at this point? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Because it, the legislation, the idea that you might be able to fight against the culture with power, with political power, which is some people might argue that that is a, that is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It completely excuses you in many ways from actually engaging with the culture and loving it in, in a face-to-face, on the ground, hands and feet of Jesus sort of way. So you can, you can uh, make legislation that stops uh, you know, babies from being killed in the womb, but then you don't have to ever have to interact with those babies that are born or the mothers that had to have them right. or anything. It right. excuses you right. in many ways from actually doing yep. anything. Yeah. It, it, it is almost an easy out. I think you're onto something too. Christianity against culture comes from a place of power. And if we're to contextualize Jesus, 
Jesus is the ultimate exemplar of true power that gave up power. Yeah. What does that mean for the church politically? What does that mean when we do mission? What does that mean when, when we are finally actually possibly, you know, being uh, pushed against, pushed to the margins, oppressed or, or um, uh, persecuted is the biblical word. <laughs> what does that mean for us to contextualize the gospel in a society like this where our king gave up power? I think there's a real inroad there to what the reality of Christian interaction with culture should be. Yeah. I think that's the trouble with a moment like this that we're in is you've got people that understood our faith as gaining power and political ground. And now that we, it seems that we, I mean, we've lost the culture war. Oh. Definitely, we've lost the culture war. And you <laughs> By have the early people, 2000s, oh, gen, it was I'm over. a Gen Xer, dude. We were like, <laughs> we're out, we're done. And you have people now scrambling to get that power back. And then they're missing all the people that are hurting and broken. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so we have fight. We have fight against culture and the the mishaps and the missteps that the church has made. Uh, and this is where we really want this to be practical for you, uh, dear listener, not just abstract kind of philosophical or political waxing and waning. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a disposition towards one of these three that we're going to talk about. And the first is, is your disposition to fight? Is your disposition to, to put on gloves with the boss, to put on gloves with the coworker, to put on gloves with the professor? I had an experience just today. My wife is in a biology class and she was in a meeting and she was in a one-to-one meeting with her biology professor who um, leans politically differently than I do. And this woman was like screaming. I'm not exaggerating. She was yelling at the top of her lungs in this one-to-one meeting with one of her students, my wife, about the effing craziness going on in the Supreme Court and Alexis, you need to get out there and vote. And are you a Republican? And, and she was going off on all these things. And I had to restrain myself from not stepping into the view of the camera and beginning to ask this woman a whole series of questions that would have been very confrontational. Very put on the gloves <laughs> sort of thing. And for those of Mostly you that- maybe because she was, he, she was yelling at your wife. Exactly. <laughs> and well, I was just going to say, I think my wife, she went super Jesus-y. She yeah. didn't respond. You guys know Alexis. She's like, she's- She's maybe one of the most incredible humans on the planet. She literally like responded with respect and, oh, no, uh, I actually haven't read the news yet. And so I'll be sure to look into that. And then when she she was asked, are you a Republican? My wife was like, no, I'm not. And she answered, honestly, not divulging, I'm a Jesus follower and I don't lay hold of political party as my identity. So, you know, let's just all do whatever Jesus and Alexis does and it's going to be fine. Yeah, I think that'll be good. That's a good idea. So, okay, the second second misstep in engagement with culture that the church historically and I think even in this modern moment uh, is tempted towards, if the first is to fight and control, the second is to flee culture completely. That is just concede all influence, just escape. It's, It's a run for the hills mentality. It's a flee from anything that, um, may inhibit or may influence your Christian version of your own personal culture. So Joshua, growing up in the church, 
this this is what I see a lot. Uh, this is what happened a lot to Christian kids growing up in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s in Christian culture, purity culture. It was this it was this flee from anything. Guard your guard your kid from anything. Can you, right. What was that? Yeah, it was it was don't don't watch anything, listen to anything, go to anything that might it's not not even like the darkest, most evil things of this world. Just like even if it hints at it, like don't listen to a an R and B song, even if it's a tame R and B song. Just the whole genre is the devil, or <laughs> hip hop. The whole genre is the devil, regardless of what they're saying or the meaning, or the purpose, or the intent behind it. You know, it, it was that whole thing. And so I find myself yesterday. I did a gig late in the way too late. Like I'm at dad now, and I'm trying to go to sleep, you know? And you're but doing was, a bar gig at midnight. Oh, yeah, it was, yeah, in I downtown went on and I sang at 11.30. And the music director is asking me, hey, we want to sing some songs that the people know. And then he's throwing out these early 2000 R&B songs. And I was just like, yo, I'm, I got to be honest with you. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know any of these songs. I learned these four songs today so I could know them, you know, so I could, you know, contextualize myself into this 11.30 at night thing, just completely being still myself, still a Jesus follower. And he was just kind of like, they're just kind of dumbfounded. Like, yo, you've never heard this Maxwell song? You've never, oh, you don't listen to this, you don't listen to D'Angelo? And one, I do now, but I mean, I didn't <laughs> listen to him until I was like 21 years old. Wow. You know? And so it's a, it's such an interesting thing. And I was shielded. I think that was the language that was used. When shielded I was, you know, was shielded the language that was used. That. Like shielded from a lot of different things. So Harry Potter, don't watch Pokemon because that means like pocket monsters. Like stay away from the culture that is not ours. VeggieTales is safe. Yeah. That's it. The end. And, <laughs> and, and anything else is the Lord devil. of the Rings is good because, you know, Tolkien was a Christian. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. May, like maybe I love, I met a lot of Christian kids in their overalls down to their ankles that couldn't uh, watch Lord of the Rings because there is a wizard in it. So. You know, it's interesting because my wife and I have had our kids in every school setting you can imagine, private, public. And oh, geez, for those of you that know us, my wife and I are anything but the stereotype of the homeschooling parent escaping. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I think I'm still most famous in homeschool circles because of the amount of tattoos that I have. I think oh, that's yeah. what I'm mo most known for. This it tattooed guy <laughs> leading his children astray with his tattoos. Totally, dude, totally. <laughs> but this, this fleeing, this fleeing mentality. And uh, it's, I think this is an important piece for us because our circle of churches and our flavor, this kind of new but very old flavor mm -hmm. of Christianity that's seeing a real resurgence in this moment. Uh, words are being bant bantied about in the Christian communities. Words like uh, contemplative. I like bantied about. Did you like that? That's I, good. I made that up. I don't even know if it's actually <laughs> a way to say it. That's good. I'm putting it in the dictionary. Great. Uh, Contemplative, we're using words like monastic, neo-monastic frameworks. We're using words like Sabbath. We're using words like fasting. All these practices, they're rooted in the monastic movements, the movement of monks that in many ways, friends, you need to know that the desert fathers and mothers, they were fleeing culture. They really were. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were motivated by right reason. 
Constantine, uh, the, the Roman emperor, had come to power and he had essentially made all of the Roman Empire Christian. So suddenly this marginalized community of people with no power and no sway and no influence became the power brokers of society. Mm-hmm. And there was this massive group of people within that system who said, we have lost the heart of Jesus around suffering, around self-control. Uh, mm-hmm. Our king was powerless and gave up power for the sake of um, forgiveness and reaching the lost and caring for the least of these. And so we are leaving. And they fled to the deserts. Right. And I think it is maybe the most dangerous and the weakest point as this monastic renewal is happening is that those that aren't well-read would just adopt wholesale what was happening within the monastic movement and flee culture and and think that the way to holiness and the way to contextualize the gospel is to uh, leave the cultures that don't have the gospel. To disappear into the desert. Exactly. Ponder our navels and exactly. read the Bible, but no one outside of ourselves ever gets to receive what the Spirit's given to us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was really smitten with Rod Dreher. And for all you nerds out there that have read the Benedict Option, you know, uh, his thoughts are are really profound. Uh, he, he argues that we need to be a self-sustaining, self-educating uh, society. Um, and Dreher himself would say he was not uh, advocating for Christians to escape. But most that have read the Benedict Option, his book on this idea of creating neo-monastic communities, uh, still came away saying, so we do need to run for the hills because society's collapsing. And I think that my my kind of pendulum swing or my my way of counterbalancing that, whenever we at Neighbors talk about being a neo-monastic movement, we talk about being an urban monastery right mm-hmm. here in the hub of the city. In the middle of the city. Yeah, yeah, we literally talk about what would it be like and how could we be a community of people living in this self-sustaining, self-educating enclave, an enclave in the midst of the city of... Um, contemplative practices that are weird. Christianity is always going to be weird, no matter what. You, It should be. But interacting with the culture around us, mm-hmm. not escaping it. Mm-hmm. All right. The third one I think is probably the greatest danger. So you, dear listener, as you're listening, uh, is your temptation to fight culture, just come against it, put the gloves on. And I think this will shift with every situation. We're all wired differently with every situation is your is your temptation to flee i'm just going to escape all of this um i'm not going i'm going to put my head in the sand or i'm going to just get completely as far away from it as i can um that may be a temptation and i think you just need to hear that's not possible not in the day and age that we live in the third mistake that the church has made is to assimilate or compromise So rather than controlling culture by fighting or conceding to culture and just fleeing, um, there's been compromise and assimilation. And um, this has always been part of the history of the church. Right. And I think that Christians are surprised or they think that there's some new thing happening when progressive or progressive liberal ideas that discount the authority of the text or, I mean, the easy, the low-hanging fruit in these types of conversations is, you know, the sexual ethics of Jesus being compromised. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that 
the the assimilation of the church into culture has always been an issue, but it is it is uniquely pronounced in this culture. And I think the conversation around deconstruction is a huge one. Right. You know, you're interacting with a lot of souls, even within our own community that are in that space, that mm-hmm. back and forth space. I know I am mm-hmm. um, and, yeah. of deconstruction. I've been in it myself too and going, going through it. And I think it's a thing that's kind of cyclical. You can go through it. You read the psalmist, Psalm 73. I envied, huh. I envied the world because it seemed like they were having so much fun out there. And so then you want to take the values, the ethics of Jesus and just move them just a notch to the left or to the right <laughs> so that you can kind of do what you want to do. That's I honestly think that's what's at the heart of it. And then it's driven by real pain. So I actually, wait, 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 wait. I, you got to say that again. Yeah. You think it starts with a desire just to do what you want to do. But then the movement yeah. f- into it is, dude, the church hurt me or yeah. this world is crazy. I can't yeah. make sense of it. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't even know if it starts with one or the other. Mm. They kind of do a dance together. And so I don't personally, I don't know which is more dangerous. Is it the fighting or is it the assimilating? Because I think that the fighting creates the assimilating into culture, mm. the fighting, the putting on your gloves, the swinging at culture and swinging at everyone that doesn't agree with you, that anyone that might have a question creates the wounded person oh, yeah. that would go, yeah, I don't know about this whole thing because when I hang out with the people that claim to love Jesus, they just trample everyone. And so, you know what, I'm just going to go party with these guys because it seems like they're having way more fun. Mm. And you... Then you, but then you end up ignoring Jesus in the same way that the people that are fighting do. Jesus doesn't put on his gloves and run and punch the adulterous woman in the face. Right. Like he, he doesn't do that. That's ignoring Jesus. And, but also he doesn't go and party with the adulterous woman. He doesn't say, hey, everything you're doing is right. And, you know, barring, you know, Mark 16, all those things, like who knows if it was in the original manuscript. Like he doesn't go and party with her and go, hey, let's... Hang out and I'm just going to do everything that you do. Everything you're doing is okay. That just is not the way of Jesus. And it can be the temptation for a wounded people or a person that is envious or wanting to kind of sin, which is all of us, by the way. Yeah, there's a curiosity kills the cat situation for those that were raised in a a church culture that fled. This idea of, well, why can't I read Harry Potter? You know, it's the, the laws laid down and it exacerbates that desire to- That was me. Yeah, exactly. And then I read it and yeah, and now I'm you're, wrecked forever. Now you're now that's why you're deconstructing Joshua because <laughs> because of I Harry. read some JK Rowling, it's over for me. <laughs> I think that's I think that's good on this piece. It's this I could sit and chat with you forever about this kind of stuff. So three three ways, right, that each of us are tempted personally and, and ways that the church is tempted to interact with culture. Just in summary, where we're at so far for the roadmap that's been laid out for us in this conversation, Christianity's weird. It has its own culture. The way to interact with culture is to first listen, listen carefully with empathy and kindness and concern and yeah. care for the individual that's in front of you, asking why is this person saying what they're saying? Mm-hmm. Three ways that we're tempted to... Um, I think not be faithful to the the great commission to make disciples and interact with culture in a healthy way. Uh, we, we choose to fight and control it. We choose to flee and concede from it, or we assimilate with it and we compromise with it. So that leaves us with the question begged, how 
what is a way or a, a framework in which we might contextualize the gospel? And um, I know I've been talking a lot, but I, I really, I'm, I'm onto this new author and a new set of ideas that has really been um, stimulating and intoxicating. And I, I think I want to build it out quite extensively. I listened to uh, a Q talk recently where I was introduced to an author named Vaclav Havel. Um, Havel was uh, three times fast. Yeah, it d- definitely sounds like I'm assimilating with culture and my use of language if I do that too <laughs> fast. <laughs> Vaclav Havel, he, he eventually went on to become the first democratically um, elected president of Czechoslovakia. And um, prior to that, he was an, ins- uh, an insurgent. He was a, 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 an insurrectionist. He was a resistor to the, the government that was the totalitarian regime that was over him in, in the Eastern Euro- European blockade. And he wrote a, he wrote a series of essays, uh, one in particular um, called The Parallel Polis. Polis is the Greek word for city. Mm-hmm. And in this particular essay, his primary idea was that under a totalitarian regime, let's just call that a culture, a culture that controls you, a culture that the given is you have no rights to yourself. Um, Havel's argument and thought was that there would be an uprising of people who would resist that totalitarian culture, not with... Um, force, not by fighting it with violence and not even necessarily by trying to flee it and certainly mm-hmm. by not assimilating into it, mm-hmm. but by becoming what he would call a parallel polis, a parallel city, a parallel society, a, a society that existed within this totalitarian society, a culture alongside the culture right. that had its own set of values, its own set of ideas, its own set of reasons for doing what it did. Well, the essay was eventually outlawed in the Eastern blockades, and um, but it just spread like wildfire. Mm. And it became one of the fountainhead sources for what eventually threw the totalitarian regimes of the day over. It, 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 these parallel societies based on, you know, dignity and liberty for the individual existing within Eastern Europe at the time, grew and grew and grew and grew in influence mm-hmm. and eventually, in a nonviolent way, toppled mm-hmm. the entire system. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's a lot of... Which is, that tends to happen, right? When, when there's something that sort of hints at, and I think this is what you're maybe getting at, something like that, that hints at what the kingdom of God is meant yeah. to look like, that it kind of takes over the hearts of people. Yep. And I don't know that we're meant to have a political revolution in this in this moment, who knows that that will really change or save anything? Because there's been a lot of that that's happened over years. But it's it's reminiscent of what what uh, the the New Testament talks about when he says we're citizens of heaven. Or Augustine writing in the middle of the fall of Rome about the city of God. We're not a part of Rome. Yeah. We're part of the city of God, which I must admit I haven't actually read, but I do know <laughs> the sort of synopsis of it. Like we are citizens of heaven. We are people of the city of God. Yeah. Um, and then we live alongside until Jesus comes and really does overthrow. Yeah, with 
with his kindness and justice and mercy and compassion. Yeah, this is a really fascinating piece in contextualizing the gospel because I think that as sayers and many would say, we are at this critical moment. We're at a crisis moment in culture where renewal happens and there's a remnant of people. There's a, it's like COVID and the political upheavals and the stress and the relational upheavals of the last three or four years. I think a lot of, and I want to say this carefully and with love and respect, I think a lot of folks that were just kind of on the fringe Christianity, like Christianity is convenient for me and they've got a great, they've got like a great kids program at my Ooh, church. This is nice. Lights yeah. and songs. Mm-hmm. And, and the communicator told a funny joke today. It made me laugh a little bit and I'm doing what's right, you know. Yeah, this is the, the right thing. By the history of my culture, I'm doing what's right. So I'm in church. Yeah. Dude, post COVID, across the board, across the board, we're seeing, leaders are seeing about one third of their church return and show up consistently. Mm-hmm. And um, thought leaders like Mark Sayers would say, yeah, we're at a remnant moment where this parallel society that is a radically committed group of people mm-hmm. will establish a culture within the culture. And it's a culture based on the ways of Jesus. Jesus literally said that the kingdom is, is it's leaven in the loaf. It's yeah. a mustard seed. It's, it's, it's tiny. It's tiny, mm-hmm. but it does this overthrowing work. It overthrew the Roman Empire. Yep. It overthrew communism in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think as we wrap this conversation up, for you, the call, dear listener, the, the consideration that we would invite you to is, right now, do you have a tiny little group of people that you exist with whose values are radically based on the kingdom of God? Because it is that tiny little insignificant in the eyes of the world community of people that God changes this world through. And the only way to interact with culture is not to um, concede and flee from it or to fight it or to assimilate into it. It is as Andy Crouch says, it is to be our own culture creators. God has given us this set of values, this set of ways of being. And so our goal, our purpose as a, a, as a parallel society within the society is simply to offer hospitality and invite the war-torn and the worn out and the ragged and the beat up and the beat down into this parallel society until the king comes. That's the way we interact with culture. Absolutely. That's, that's really hopeful, especially in a moment where things are maybe difficult, when people are outraged to continue to live alongside those people, following the way of Jesus as a, as a cure for the soul, with kindness, with compassion, but absolute devotion to his way and to his ethic and to his, um, how he engaged with the mm. culture is the, is the hope that we have be it small or maybe you find yourself around a lot of people it looks like that. Maybe it's one person uh, for a while. I, I lived there where I was like, I don't know that there's anyone around me that also thinks these things. Yeah. Then I find myself in, in neighbor's church and there's a beautiful community that is a, a sort of a remnant moving yeah. towards uh, following the way of Jesus. Yeah. And we recognize how easily we can succumb to any of the three. And yeah. so we pray. And I think that's what I want to close us with. I want to close us with a prayer from St. Paul. Um, I am, I am 
<laughs> immersed in the book of Philippians, to say the least right now, as we've launched into our Sunday teachings through the book of Philippians. Paul prays this beautiful prayer, and I think it has real, um, has it fits really well with this conversation and interaction with culture. He, pr- he prays it in chapter one, and it's a big, long, run-on sentence, verses nine through 11. And essentially what Paul prays, and this is how I pray for us as a church and how I pray for you as a listener and your community, wherever you find yourself. First, that God's love would abound more and more, that you would experience this overflow of security, gentleness, kindness, peace, um, faithfulness, patience, and joy in the power of the Holy Spirit, that love would abound more and more in the knowledge of God in this experiential knowledge of knowing yourself as loved, knowing yourself as loved in the midst of a community and that you would be given depth of insight, which is a technical term for Paul, which essentially meant that you would know the ethics of Jesus, the values of Jesus, that you would have insight into the ways of the kingdom in this world Mm -hmm. and that you may be able to approve what is best In in a world full of very gray issues and complex issues, Christians are challenged And we need discernment by the Holy Spirit to approve, to do what is right in these very complex gray situations in interacting with culture, knowing how to best interact with culture so that we might be pure and blameless until the coming of Jesus. And all of this culminates in us bearing the fruits of righteousness that come through Jesus Christ to the glory of our Father. This is our prayer for you. Be thinking deeply about these things. It is an incredible time to be a Christian interacting with culture until the king comes. Shalom, friends. 